When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, Gabby here. And I'm Brenna. And welcome to the Mystery of Everything podcast. It is 8 p.m. I'm sleepy. Gab's sleepy. I had to work late. Gab's getting floors put in. It's, it's a been a week. It's been a week. I'm like painting my bathroom right now. It's stress painting. Brenna's like you're adding to your stress. But painting or working right now would make me calmer because my entire house is fucked up. I can say that on here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, a pipe burst flooded my house like the day we landed in Austria. And Steve and I are like, whatever. We're just going to leave it alone because this is the second time a pipe burst in our house. We've just been like, fuck that. And we just moved on with our lives. But we eventually had to deal with it. Um, and then when we ripped up the floors, the previous owners had the laminate flooring, mm-hmm. some sort of like padding underneath. And that was over top of vinyl flooring mm-hmm. that was stuck to the floor that was molded. So then yeah. the insurance company was like, screw that. We're starting a restoration company. And they ripped everything out. And then while they were ripping stuff out, they broke the countertop. So they can't even put anything back. So they're going to have to replace the entire kitchen. And then the dining room and the playroom floors and the entryway floors. And then we were like, okay, you're replacing all the floors. You might as well just do the rest of the house. So I am doing great. Yeah. So that's how it's going with Gab. (laughs) It's going great. Things are going pretty well with me. I'm just looking for a nun costume. For normal reasons. Yeah. Nothing weird. But if you guys want to come out to Anderson, South Carolina in February... Go to War of the Barons and you guys can be church people with me and Bren. Yep. By the time this comes out, it'll be February. Oh, well then go with us this month. We'll put the yep. link in the description because it could be fun. Me and Gabber are both going to be nuns. I'm going to be a sexy nun. I'm just kidding. You I'm can't not. be sexy nun. You have I'm to be not. just like a regular nun. I'm just going to be regular nun. My story, because Stephen is a Baron, is I'm in love with Stephen. So you could be in love with Chris. Oh my God, we're both terrible nuns. We're terrible nuns. Yeah. I could be the mean nun. No, I don't want to be the mean nun. In movies, you all know the mean nun. But Brenna came here today to help put my disaster, my house disaster, into perspective with a little worst disaster. A little cave disaster. Oh, I had an intro that I was going to say for you all. Now it would just be weird. Do it anyway. Do it. Hey, all you sassy skinks (laughs) and snakes. (laughs) <laughs> you're right that was weird. <laughs> and then i was gonna be like on today's episode we're gonna be crawling into cave disasters it's like tiger king but make it reptilian reptilian <laughs> skinks are reptiles well they're liz- lizards are reptiles i don't know what a skink is i you, hate to say you were a biology major you have to know what a skink what is, is this actual name 
It's a skink. No, I don't know what that is. Google it. You know what a skink is. Am I saying it right? Yeah, a skink. Ew. Yeah, it's a skink. That's so funny because <laughs> I work with salamanders. And I've never heard yeah. of this ugly thing. It's hideous. It's like an uglier salamander. It's like a, it's like a variation of a lizard. Looks like a snake, though. We've got some in Kentucky. Don't love it. Oh, anyways, uh, cave disasters. Yeah, cave disasters. Nothing to do with reptiles. Just whenever I was typing out the episode, that's what came to mind. And if I ever make like a YouTube channel where I educate kids on um, reptiles and amphibians, that'll be my intro. Do it. Yeah. But that's probably not going to happen. Anyways, moving on. So we're keeping with the theme of disasters that we've been covering. A listener was kind enough to recommend this. Insert name here if they say I can do so. Did you not ask? I did ask. (laughs) I did ask. I just forgot to insert name here. Okay, we're going to two seconds. I'm so fast. I'm with the quickness. General. uh, Davis. Davis said, yeah, I totally don't mind at all. Um, That's literally his only name he has. It just says Davis. So, Davis, this one's for you. Insert um, rock song here. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so it's uh, a good idea, but slightly terrifying. Oh, and Davis also mentioned I should dive into a very well-known cave disaster known as the Nutty Putty Cave Disaster with John Jones. So we're going to cover that first. And I'll be honest, before researching, I had never heard of such a thing. But when it comes to cave accidents, I know nothing. You so, never heard of cave accidents? No, I mean like the like the Nutty Putty cave. Oh my gosh. I right. watched this long well, YouTube never heard video. Of any, any cave accidents. Really? Yes. So God. this was a lot. Good for you, Queen. <laughs> this was a lot. Um so if you thought that the saturation diving episode was bad, which it was bad. I mean someone got sucked through a hole and turned into KFC chicken. Not KFC. I feel like it's disrespectful to the poor dude who's dead. KFC chicken sucks. I can say that because I'm from Kentucky. I like KFC. Damn. No. I love KFC. No. <laughs> I like their potatoes. But that's off topic. Um, yeah, so just wait. Without further ado, we're going to go into the first on our list, which is, of course, the Nutty Putty Cave disaster. So before we climb into the accident, let's discuss the ins and out of nutty putty cave to get a little background information on the area so the cave was discovered in 1960 right outside of salt lake city utah and everybody loved it college students boy scout troops you name it the cave had over 5,000 visitors per year nutty putty is a limestone cave so naturally you naturally you would think that it was formed throughout the years by the cave getting eaten away by acidic groundwater However, while Nutty Putty is a limestone cave, it is also a hypogenic cave. This is different from your typical limestone cave because it was created from the bottom up by hydrothermal activity. So hypogenic caves are formed when superheated water is forced upward into a bed of limestone. The minerals that are in this hot water will eat away at the rocks to create the shafts that form the cave, which is super cool. Um, Matt Paulson, who is the chair of the Timpanagos Grotto. Gab, did I say that right? Yeah. Oh, sweet. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, this is a local branch of National Speleological. Yeah. That is a mouthful. National Speleological Society that was managed 
or that manage access to the popular cave. So Matt says, traditionally, these types of caves are very complex and features lots of domes and three-dimensional passages, which was very characteristic of a hypogenic cave. Unlike most caves we see, the temperature of Nutty Putty Cave stayed around 12.7 degrees Celsius or 55 degrees Fahrenheit, since we don't use Celsius here. The reason the temperatures stay so high is because of it being a hypogenic cave. Mapping systems, and if I'm saying that wrong, you guys don't come for me. Hypogenic? Sounds fine. I feel like that's the only way it can be said. But if Someone might throw a gen in there, but I don't like how hypo- that would sound. Hypo- hypogenic? Hypogenic. Um, so that's like clean, right? No. Hypoallergenic is like... Oh. <laughs> what am I thinking? Hypogenic? Nope. I don't know where my mind was going with that. Hygiene? Hygienic was where my mind was going. <laughs> um, guys, it's late for Bryn. I sat up until two in the morning working on this episode. So you all better love it. Oh, yeah. But um, moving on. Mapping surveys of the cave were able to capture 1,355 feet or 413 meters total of the cave with a depth that reached 145 feet, 44 meters. A fun fact about the cave before we dive into its horrific history is that the cave had clay oozing from the walls that looked like silly putty, which in turn gave the cave, cave its name because it was an original product name for Silly Putty. Did you know that? Gab, did you ever play with Silly Putty? Is it like modeling clay? Kind of like modeling clay, except a little more stretchy and slimy. So it's slime? No, it's not slime. It's not as bad as slime. You're making this up. I have no clue about it. It can get stuck in carpet. Um, For my best friends, their kid's birthday, so I always get Silly Putty because I'm a dick. Because it gets stuck in carpet? Yes. That's messed up. Yes, it does. When you have a kid, I'll remember this. Oh my carpet, gosh, I'm actually setting a hair. reminder in my phone right now. No, I get the worst presents for kids. I get you slime. I get silly putty. Thank you for loud, not getting joy at any of Loud that. musical instruments. She already has all of makeup. those. Makeup. Has that. I'm a big fan of makeup. Oh, always buy real makeup though. Don't buy play makeup for kids because play makeup isn't really regulated and real makeup is more regulated. And so it's play safer. makeup is so expensive. And I didn't realize that. Like I was getting my niece Veda um, makeup the other day for her fifth birthday because the girl is styling. I showed Gab a picture of her. Bless her sweetheart. She cut her bangs. She looks Her great. mommy is a hairstylist. And she cut her bangs. She did what she had to do. And it looks, it looks. She is serving looks. I yeah. will say that. Like she is serving it. On me? Veda, Horrific. If, if mommy lets you listen to a snippet of this, girl, you are rocking it. She looks great. She looks great. Oh, but uh, Morgan, her mom, was like, make sure you get just actual makeup instead of play makeup. I was like, I'm just going to go look at it anyways and see how much it is. That shit is so expensive. Like $25 for some a combination of weird kid makeup. I don't know. That could be poisonous. We don't even know. (laughs) That's insane. They're not regulated. They can put anything in there. It's a toy. What? The more you know. That's horrific. Oh, yeah. Where were we? Clay. (laughs) (laughs) The clay of the cave walls would change from solid to almost liquid and stretchy when squeezed. Oh, that was super interesting. Also, apparently, if you were to yell at the clay, it would move and ooze more in reaction to your yelling. But I don't know if that's true. Is this cave still a thing? Oh, is this the one they caved in? 
Yeah. You're going to ruin it. We don't so know. Sorry. sorry. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. I watched a video. I don't know if this is the one. <laughs> so Matt Paulson said that the first time he went into the caves was as a Boy Scout just at 12 years old. And a man named Richard Downey, the treasurer and historian for the Timpanagos Grotos, even led Boy Scouts into the cave for decades. He states that the cave was, quote, a crawly little cave. There were also some large passages. It was believed to be really easy, and that's why all your Boy Scouts and locals went in with flashlights and sandals and things. You had to work hard to get in trouble. So it was just a normal place for mm-hmm. people to go. I don't just understand caving, place. though. I don't understand caving. And I don't know if it is because I am not American. I was going to say Caucasian, but I don't want to <laughs> offend the people. You can throw it out there. But I'd never heard of caving until I moved to the U.S. of A. And not just the U.S. of A. Like Kentucky. <laughs> like you guys in Kentucky were like, I see a hole in the ground. I'm going to squeeze into that. Why? I'm not going to lie. When boring? I do see like a hole in the ground and then an open space on the other side, it makes me think. Like, you know, the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth? No. Why do you ask me about movie? <laughs> I already, when I ask, I know the answer. Gab hasn't seen it. Will you watch it? It's got the rock. Yeah, sure. I love a good rock. My mom has, a, no, my mom has odds for Vin Diesel. Who doesn't love Vin Diesel? Uh, Wait, James is going to cut this out. Back on track. Yeah, was, yeah <laughs> sorry, James. You can leave. It was That was small. You can leave that in. But my point was journey to the center of the earth. You like, you crawl through a cave and then there's a whole other world on the other side. There's dinosaurs. There's all kinds of unseen things. I can see its appeal, although scary. I would love to agree. I would. You need really to watch would. that movie. It's cute. Julia would like it. I won't it watch it if movie. it makes me want to crawl into holes in the ground. I don't remember if they crawl through a hole to get there. Well, it's a, they get to the center of the earth. A <laughs> volcano. They go in a volcano. Uh, <laughs> sorry, James. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. So when did we run into trouble with the cave? The main incident this cave is known for was not the only incident. Between 1999 and 2004, six people became stuck in one of Nutty Putty's small passageways. All six did eventually make it out alive. But after so many incidents with rescue teams having to repeatedly go to the cave, the sheriff's department was getting kind of concerned, obviously. Nutty Putty's official, or officially became closed to the public in 2006 after four young people drowned in a cave nearby the year prior. So now we're going to fast forward. The year is 2009. It's late November and John Edward Jones is visiting Nutty Putty Cave with his brother Josh and 11 others. The cave had just been reopened only months prior to this incident. John was attempting to find a location in the cave called the birth canal. And Gab, I added pictures. Uh, if you want to like scroll, you can see like the birth canal and all that stuff. But my claustrophobic self could not like. I don't it's understand. It's called the birth canal. I can see it and we'll post these online. But why would anybody shove themselves because when I was Mm -mm. in college my group would go to a cave where you had to squeeze through like you know those chair backs those dining room chairs that have the little square opening in the back so the opening was that big and you had to like squeeze yourself through to get down into the cave and they would like be practicing with the chairs to make sure they can make it through I never went in I'd sit at the top um because I wasn't dumb like one person gets stuck we're screwed I would go in Oh, nope. I would. No. Because that's just how my brain works. Why would you squeeze idiot. into a hole that goes underground? Because <sighs> uh, adrenaline. 
I lack dopamine. You all know I'm depressed. I lack dopamine. So that's why I like lottery and shit like that. Any chance I can get to, other than drugs, I don't do drugs, but any chance I can get to get a little dopamine rush, I'm going to take it. There's ways to get that. I can't say. Well, I mean, here, I don't want to like skydive or no, anything like. Oh, there's ways no. to get back. Nope, that's what no, I. You know, no. would, that's what, yeah, how, that's what I used to do. Okay. Um, Let's look at some alternate routes. <laughs> yeah. So the birth canal, which even sounds like something I would not want to crawl in. I've been there once. I ain't going back. Get it? Because we came out of birth canals. <laughs> I came out of <laughs> the sunroof. Oh, C-section. Oh, <laughs> my brother broke my mom's tailbone. That sounds horrific. And here I am wanting to be a mom. You could take the sunroof. That's what I also did. Take the sunroof. I gave Joy the sunroof too. You know, you just I'm gotta gonna have to. It so you take a little stressful. nap. I passed out. I took a little nap. Boom. Woke up, there was a child. I was like, man, that was stress-free. <laughs> yeah, it sounds less stressful for baby and, you know, maybe for mom. I don't know. So John took a wrong turn. He did not make it to the birth canal. Unfortunately, he ended up in an entirely different location than intended, one that was unmapped. He was in a section of the cave near a place called Ed's Push. And like Gab said earlier, we're going to upload uh, probably to Instagram the pictures. But John thought he saw a large opening on the other side of the area he was in, and he had intentions of turning around. So headfirst, he went into the narrow squeeze, except the opening was not larger on the other side. And now he was stuck. Not only was John stuck, but he was stuck upside down at a 70 degree angle. So for most experienced cavers, this is a no-no. You're taught to never go headfirst downward under any circumstances if the area is even questionably tight. Matt Paulson, who I discussed earlier, thinks that if John would have gone through feet first, he would have been able to make his way back out. So, of course, we never know what could have happened in life or what would have happened in this case. But there is reason to believe that he probably could have been helped and potentially survived. But again, we will never know. So John's attempted rescue lasted 72 hours and was broadcasted by the news the whole time, which that's, I don't know. I get news goes to these things, but it's almost like it's tragic. The other day, uh, my hometown, this is so sad, rest in peace, um, but my hometown, a house burned down. Saw that. And the news was there like, I don't know. While it was burning? Yeah, and I, oh. underst- I understand the news being there, like, like in this instance, you know, the news reported the entire situation, but, like, people are dying, and you're just standing in, I don't know, I don't know, to each their own. It just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth a little bit. When you think of war journalists, like journalists on battlefields or journalists in battle zones, that's kind of their thing. They're literally recording people dying. And I guess it's like... Like in those instances, I guess it's so people can like see what's, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So um, 27 hours broadcasted by the news the whole time. There were 127 volunteers at the scene to try to help him. They installed a pulley system to try to pull him out. Eight men pulled together to try to get him out, taking short breaks in between because John was in so much pain. Oh, poor John. 
They were beginning to make progress, slowly pulling John up with every tug. And after the third pull, John was even high up enough he made eye contact with the nearest rescuer. The rescuer asked, how are you? And John responded, it sucks. I'm upside down. I can't believe I'm upside down. My legs are killing me. Even though John was complaining, he still had a smile on his face. Which I just feel like that says a lot about who John was. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. So I have also added a picture here for Gab to see, and we're going to put this on Instagram too, but you can see their makeshift pulley system, and you can see how tight of a spot that guy is in trying to, the rescuer is in trying to drill it into the cave wall. Uh, it'll make you claustrophobic. So, um, yeah, the guy looked at John, John smiled, and then they pulled again. John was almost out, but the fourth pull was different. The rope suddenly went loose and the team all fell backwards. The rescuer just behind John got hit hard in the face with something that knocked him unconscious. Dust filled up the cavern. And when the rescuer came to and the dust began to clear, he realized what all had happened. The place where the rope was tied around, a stone arch that was beside John's legs, had shattered into dust. The bolt holding the pulley system was completely broken, and the walls of the cave, being clay, couldn't hold the weight. John had slid back down into the crevice, but this time he was even further than before. So now that the first responder closest to John had been hit in the face with a metal carabiner, 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 he had terrible injuries to his face and he could no longer try to rescue. So he had to swap out places with another guy who just so happened to be his dad. But by the time the newest crew member reached John, it wasn't looking good. John started to lose consciousness as the blood pulled to his head. His breathing was shallow. When they called to him, he didn't respond. The rescuer became stuck briefly by, like, not John, but the actual rescuer became stuck briefly, too. 
Yeah, so he eventually freed himself and then attached another pulley system, but he was so exhausted he had to be replaced by another crew member. So they swapped out again. This crew member tried to make contact with John but couldn't. So the next person to go down into the crevice was a medical professional who pronounced John dead. He died a few minutes before the stroke of midnight on the night before Thanksgiving. He left behind a pregnant wife and a child. His body wasn't able to be removed from Nutty Putty Cave, so now the cave is his final resting place. The cave was sealed shut with concrete and has a plaque dedicated to John at the entrance. Writing that one got me, and I had to take breaks because it made me so sick. Just, like, if you want to research it, there's a lot more details that I couldn't pack into this, but uh, rest in peace, John Jones, and my condolences to his wife, children, and the rest of his family. And I have, Gab can see him, but there's two pictures, and it shows diagrams of, like, where he was stuck at in the cave, where the rescuers were, where the pulley system was, so we'll upload that, but there really was... There no was no way, way to get he could that out. Unless they would have broken that little I don't want to be section. morbid, but unless they would have almost like snapped his legs. Like there's no way to get him lived. out. They yeah. could have shot him up with something that would knock him out and then broke his legs. I thought about legs. that too. But I mean, it was happening so fast. But I thought about that too. Like what if they just cut his fucking legs off? Or would mm. he get infected and bleed to death before you could get him out? Yeah, also, how would you get his torso out? Because that was the small part that would kind of oh, like force him through. Yeah. Like, because you know, like it is what cats do with their body, they kind of compress mm-hmm. and then go through. Like, you know, and what I'm if saying? the blood's pooling, then maybe he's getting swollen. I don't know. Just wouldn't have been a great time. I uh, don't know. Yeah. So that obviously had a not happy ending. And this next one um, is also going to have a not happy ending. I can't imagine anything in a cave disasters episode can have a too happy ending. We'll see. We'll see, won't we? All right, number two on my list, Mossdale Cavern Flood. This one was crazy, and I even watched YouTube videos on this one. One of the guys, one of the guys Chris's watch, Chris watches, something to do with a hand. That's neither here nor there. Shrouded hand? Does that sound familiar? Shredded hand? I don't know, but you're a good YouTuber, and I enjoyed your video. So, next disaster is equally horrific, but in a different way. If you're afraid of getting... Stuck in tight spaces. Uh, let's start drowning into the mix. Let's do it. Just for funsies. This is not fun. This is tragic. I just, I, will, I don't know. That's how I deal with uncomfortable things is I laugh it off. Once again, before diving into the story, I'm going to give you all slight background information on the cave itself. So Mossdale Cavern was first discovered by a man named Bob Leakey in 1941. It is important to note that Bob never would have discovered the caverns without the perseverance of a man named Eli Simpson, who we're going to call Simey. It's C-Y-M-M-I-E. Sounds like a Simey. Sounds like a Simey. I like Simey. If I'm saying it wrong, sue me. Don't sue me. Uh, I didn't look up the pronunciation. Simey was a member of British Speleological... Association. I said that earlier. You'd think I'd get it by now. He had gathered a large amount of geological records pertaining to mining in an area between Hebden Gill and Bycliffe Hill, located in Yorkshire, Yorkshire Dales, England. Simon thought that this area could hold the key to answering the last major unsolved 
speleological, I'm never going to be able to say that smoothly, speleological problem in the area. The Mostel Beck Grassington Moore dash black killed resurgence enigma. He just knew that the longest and deepest cave system in the British Isles was beneath this moor due to the abandoned lead mines. So after investigating for many years, through research and on foot, he was determined to find this cave system. He heard a story told by old lead miners about a large cavern under the moor and thought this would be the entrance to a larger cave system he believed to be underneath. So what does he do? He recruits Bob to join him on his search. The two searched mine shafts and explored all over the area with no success. That is, until Simi noticed a creek that disappeared at the base of Mostel Scar. Mostel Scar is a cliff that reaches an altitude of 1,400 feet. It is in a shallow valley that has a steepy grassy ridge that forms almost like a wall on the south, and that wall rises up onto Grassington Moor, which I added a picture of it. Gabby, you see that tiny little black hole? Which one? Like on the si- right, right side? Oh, that is the entrance. We're going to upload this picture too. Um, so yeah, Siamese sees the creek, uh, also known as Mosdale Beck, and decides he's going to follow it. Mossdale Beck is not like your average stream, though. It's almost like a small river. So the stream disappears at the foot of the cliff. It sinks down underground and then emerges on the opposite side, combining with another source of water from Langcliff Pot. So the men notice the stream disappearing, and then they wanted to search for where it goes. But there aren't many young men around who can assist them in searching during this time because of World War II. So Bob enlists the help of a group of young women who worked with him at an aircraft factory in Yeadon. On May 31st, 1941, Bob drops his pipe out of his mouth, and upon hunting for it, he finds his way into the stream passage. How serendipity. So fast forward to the end of the year, Bob and his team of women have explored four miles worth of cave passages formed by water streaming under the cliff. Bob would even sleep in the cave to avoid long trips venturing in and out, covering himself with sand in drier areas of it. Which is just insane. I mean, go Bob. Like, good for you, but you're hardcore. Some areas of the cave could only be explored by ducking yourself underwater and appearing on the other side. And other areas were so small that you would have to crawl with your belly scraping the bottom to get through. Bob said that he noticed evidence of flooding on his second trip down, seeing the puddles on the floor getting larger, and then he had to scramble to get his way back out. You get the picture. It was dangerous. So let's fast forward to where our actual story takes place. The year is 1967. On June 24th, 10 people set off to enter the Mostel Caverns. They separate into two groups. Oh, why did they separate? First of all, if you learn anything from Scooby-Doo. Don't split up. Literally. Don't split up the gang. One group consisted of 19-year-old William Frakes. I think he went by Bill. 23-year-old Colin Vickers. 26-year-old David Adamson. And I'm pretty sure David was leading the group. I could be wrong on that. Um, But I'm pretty sure he is, if I remember correctly. 24-year-old Jerry Borrow. Yeah, Borrow. 21-year-old John Ogden and Michael Ryan, who was only 17. That is so sad. Not because I'm foreshadowing. We don't know what's going to happen. They're going to be fine. 
They're going to be fine. The second group consisted of Morag Forbes. Love her name. Morag. That's so cool. Collette, Lord, James Cunningham, and John Shepard. They all entered the cavern around 2.30 p.m. The second group, which consisted of four, only planned on going to an area called Rough Chamber to look at the views. Gab, if you scroll down, you'll be able to see Rough Chamber. The first group of six were slightly more ambitious, and they were planning on going to the extreme end of the mapped area on the cave and using explosives to remove blockages, keeping people from exploring the rest of the passages. So after the second group made it to their destination at Rough Chamber, they returned to the surface. The passages to Rough Chamber take about 40 minutes to get there and then 40 minutes back. They were successful in their trip, leaving the cave by 5 p.m. So while the others left the area, Morag stayed. She was the fiancé of Dave Adamson, and she wanted to wait for him. While the weather took an unexpected turn, it was supposed to be a pretty day, and then it turned stormy. Thunderstorms and heavy rain took over that afternoon around 7 or so. But the first group wasn't expected to return from the cave until midnight. Morag noticed the group hadn't returned yet, and she went back to the cave entrance at 7.30. Um, she had been sheltering in a barn nearby. So she went back to the cave entrance and everything looked normal. She didn't think anything of it. So she went back to the barn. But upon returning to check the cave entrance around 8.30 p.m., it was completely submerged underwater. Fucking terrifying. So Morag ran two miles to Yanbury Farm where she asked a farmer to call for police. Around 11 p.m. that night, the cave rescue began. But this cave was unlike other caves, so backup was needed. They called a bigger cave rescue and fellow cavers, fire departments, and police officers were on the scene within minutes. The entire cave was underwater, essentially turning into a lake. The rescue group began digging ditches and diversion, diversion drains, trenches, to draw the rain away from the cave. Some even used their hands as shovels. The ditch was dug six feet wide, 10 feet deep, and 100 yards long. The sun came up and the rescuers continued working. Next, building a 10-foot dam, 15 feet thick, 70 yards wide, reinforced with 10,000 sandbags. They waited to see if the water levels would drop so the rescue could officially begin. And with the dam, I mean, the, the dam, they just made it. It wasn't exactly sturdy. It required constant repairs. So that afternoon, the water levels did begin dropping, and then the already exhausted rescue team made their way into the cave, which was still full of water, just to the point where they could actually walk through it. The rescue team made it to rough chamber, but couldn't continue on until the water drained from the other chambers. They waited in there for hours, knowing the only thing keeping them alive was the unsturdy dam outside. So if that dam were to break, water floods back in again, surely they die people outside who could fix it right yeah they had people outside round the clock repairing the dam while a team of rescuers went back in so it was like a constant effort um the water did drain enough for them to continue on through the canals so they did they started down a 900 feet crawl through a passage that was about 10 inches high and two feet wide two bodies were found jammed in that passage there were no other options but to crawl over the bodies as they could not turn around because the passage, passage was so small. So they continued on. A short way past those two bodies, three more were found. But they couldn't find the sixth body. 
The leader of the rescue mission, Jim Iyer, told the others to quickly head back because it was obviously dangerous. Some of the others were crying and vomiting upon the discovery of their friends' bodies, as one would. The bodies were identified, but one person was still unaccounted for, John Ogden. Unable to find John and worried he might still be alive somewhere, they contacted Bob Leakey, who we remember, guys, he was the first one that ever went into it. Oh, Bob. So Bob was now 53 years old. Bob went into the cave and went past where all the bodies were found, continuing on actually way farther than that. But with the dam still being questionable, he was forced to leave the cave. This was Bob's last ever caving expedition. Days passed by, Monday night. The cave was searched again as well as Tuesday night. And around 10 p.m. Tuesday night, a childhood best friend of John led a team of six back into the cave. They went past the bodies, and then John noticed the gleam of a golden ring, followed by a boot poking out of a fissure. The small gap was impossibly narrow and couldn't be climbed but John had gotten his head in there fighting for the last little bit of air he could get to. So John didn't die by drowning. John got his head stuck in a tiny crack trying to get air and couldn't escape. All six men were found. All six men had died. The bodies could not immediately be removed. Reaching the bodies took over five hours of crawling, so the cave entrance was closed and sealed. However, in 1970, there were friends of the victims who got into the cave and successfully were able to move the remains to a higher cavern away like from the area where floodwaters reached. And then that area was named the sanctuary. So very sucky story. Very sad. Very sketchy. At least half the group got out. Half the group got out. I just can't imagine being more and like my fiance's in there. It's starting to rain. I'm waiting in a barn. I don't know why they split up. Here's the thing, though. Even if I were with that group that split up, I always go with the group Steve's in. Because if he dies, I'm dying, you too. You all die together. We are in this together, homie. And there were also a, another group, two other women. I didn't add this into it because, like, each one of these, I'm only mentioning brief aspects of it, but there is a lot of information to pack into it. So there were also two other women who were supposed to be in the group of six. So six would have turned into eight. But... Last minute, they're like, can we please not? Relatable. Yeah. And they survived. But yeah, very tragic. I don't know what would be worse. Like, so cave water's just flooded in very quickly. Drowning's terrible, I've heard. Drowning's terrible. I've heard it's one of the worst ways to die. getting your head stuck in a cavern, fighting for air, your head stuck. You don't die of drowning, you just die. Well, wouldn't he have gotten his head stuck and still drowned though because it would have filled it completely up. filled up the cavern so either way he died with his head stuck and drowned so god that is horrific because i think i watched something on this before and i'm pretty sure he also drowned just with his head stuck in a crevice but he lived the longest is that a good thing i don't know i'm trying to wait i feel like it's more horrifying because your head like it'd be stuck. scary because you're just you know you know. But you can't even, re- I mean, you, I guess you could feel the water rising. I feel like it was one of those like flash flood type deals. Because Morag had went to the entrance at 730 and it was completely golden. She was like, I'm going to go back. And then she went back, I don't know, like 830 around that time. And the entrance is completely underwater. And that's my dog. That's a little booker boy. He's a good boy. He's not a good boy. He's a goodest boy. 
<laughs> oh, I wish that the camera or the microphone picked that up. That is hilarious. Probably did. James got that out of the day. <laughs> All right. So we're going to finish off on a bit of a lighter note. Yeah, because those were terrible, right? Those are some terrible stories. So this story, we're, we're just going to finish off on a lighter note. Everybody lives? <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Next up, um, the rescue in Bushman's Hole. And if those that's of you, a terrible name. <laughs> Bushman's Hole. This is not a laughing matter, Gabby. I'm not laughing. No, we do need to laugh. I feel like we probably sound sleepy right now because we are. But and this isn't exactly like this isn't one of those episodes where we're like, yeah, fine, because it's full of death. But you just said it was a good I said a lighter note. We're on a lighter note. Okay, so Bushman's Hole. This one was crazy. Uh, stop! I'm sorry. She's over here chuckling to herself. It's a bad name. <laughs> and those of you that have heard of this story, just keep quiet until I, I finish. Until <laughs> you finish with Bushman's Hole. Thanks. I'm going to finish in Bushman's Hole. <laughs> James, <laughs> cut that. <laughs> oh, shit. This story takes place in South Africa's northern cape in a cave called Bowman's Gat. Bowman's Gat. Bowman's Gat. Bowman's Gat cave, also known as Bushman's Hole. <laughs> it's not that funny. It's pretty funny. Who the f- who named? Who named this? It, okay, this is about to get sad, so we have to stop laughing. <sighs> Our story starts out with Dion. I think his name is Dreyer. Looks like Dreyer. Dion Dreyer on December 17th, 1994. A 20-year-old Dion decided he was going to practice a dive at Bushman's Hole. Um, also, did I mention that this cave is entirely underwater? Ooh. No? Well, I did now. It's a freshwater cave. If you hike your way down the small crater, you'll find yourself standing beside a tiny circle of water that some might mistake as a puddle. But alas, this is the entrance. Side note, can you imagine you're just exploring a cave, walking around, you're just trudging along, and then douche, what you think is a puddle, you're gone. You're done for. Now, if you could swim, you'll be fine. Oh, yeah, and this is scuba diving, which... I don't. I told myself I would never do a dive and think, Gabby, are you scrolling ahead? No, I was just remembering. I love cave diving because I listened to this whole long episode on cave diving incidents because it is hard to get a cave diving like certification yep. to get approved for it. Mm-hmm. And you're not really supposed to go by yourself. But I listened to one where one person did everything wrong, like everything you could possibly do wrong. But then nobody was experienced enough to go as far as they did. So there was like no way to rescue them. Not great. Not great. This story is not going to be anything like that. Nothing at all. Oh, my uh, dive master that checked me off for diving, his name was Jamie. He was a hard ass, but uh, like in a good way. He was one of those old men that, well, when you're teaching scuba diving, you have to be a hard ass because people die. Like there's no jokes. You got to, I was the only one in the class. He was hardcore, but he was a cave diver. A very hardcore man. You didn't fuck around with Jamie. So when diving into this tiny sliver of water, you have to slide your way through a very small gap before you reach 
one of the biggest freshwater caves in the entire world. Like I said, those small gaps. You never know what's going to be on the other side of a little tiny gap, Gabby. And that's why you got to risk it for the biscuit. Or you'll never be in the biggest freshwater cave in the entire world. One of. You want to know how big this cave is? When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Pretty big. The cave is 393 feet long, 328 feet wide, and 927 feet deep. Yes, you heard that right. 927 feet deep. Woo! I can't even... I don't know if I was supposed to cheer. I feel like I should have. I feel like you should, because that's deep. That's pretty deep. Bushman's hole goes deep. (laughs) Oh, my God. You were about to say that, weren't you? I got to feel it in my soul. But... We can't laugh anymore because it's about to get sad. So when Dion decided to take on that risky dive that day, which it is a risky dive and everyone there knows it is. It's not something for beginners. It's not something you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to dive into the hole. It started out like any other dive that day, relatively normal. The diver who had been sinking down with Dion beside him suddenly realized he couldn't see Dion anymore. Which, if you've ever been scuba diving you know that you stay with your partner the whole time you have to be able to see each other and if your partner ever gets out of sight that shit is so scary shark no just so many things can go wrong me and my mom were um dive partners one time and lost each other and we were still beside each other but one of us was just higher up than the other so if we would have looked up or down we would have seen each other but you know you look side to side Mama about shit a brick. She was so scared she lost me underwater. Because I'm her baby. People die. So easy. That's irrelevant. (sighs) Yeah. So the guy searched for Dion through the murky water. And he did see him. 
But whenever he seen him, Dion was sinking an alarming rate to the bottom of the cave. All of a sudden? All of a sudden, he's just shooting downward so quickly that any attempt of chasing him would be equivalent to a suicide mission. Just sounds hmm. a little funky, don't it? But, you know. That's and what it's just said. that one guy's word? Yeah. Huh. It's just that one guy's word. Strange. Huh. How about that? No one knows for sure what happened to Dion. But it is theorized that he suffered from what is called a deep water blackout and sunk to the bottom of the cave. Which, my thing is like, well, I don't know. I don't know with cave dive. I don't know about going that far down. Because I'm a floater. I guess I got so much fat on my body that I float. I don't know what it is. But I, that that's a thing, right? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I also, I was able to float in water whenever I was a little skinny thing too. So I don't know. But I have to have so much weight on me in order for me to actually be get, able to go underwater. It's insane. Because, you know, you put the weights on your weight belt in order for you to sink. And then if you want to float, you fill up your, um, whatchamacallit vest. I don't want to go diving. The, I should know the name of it. I literally have one. You're going to do like all, like, the di- I don't know. I don't want to go diving. God, it's so I have to fun. go in like in Italy and I'm so scared. I would I'm like, pay am I gonna die? Big money to go diving in like, Italy. We can do it. And I'm like, eh. It is one of some it, We're going with our friends on. They're super experienced. Aside from what I'm about to say, like it's one of the most relaxing experiences ever. It truly is. I can be having a panic attack on top of the waves and the second I get down in there, I'm like, Oh, there's a fish. That's me with Ooh, flying. There's a stingray. I like being in the sky. I really wanted to go skydiving. I don't know what, because I feel like if okay. I were to die in a plane crash, I mean, whatever, I would just be so happy. But I just I don't feel the same with dive like, you know, if 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 that is the way I went, I would be fine with it, is what I mean. No. Versus I, because at least I, I was doing what diving, I loved. Yeah, if I die scuba diving, I'd feel more at peace. I've always kind of felt like I was going to die in the ocean, though. <laughs> it works. Maybe oh? it's because I'm a Pisces. I don't know. I <laughs> I like a game of science, ma'am. I the ocean calls to me. It does. Like if I if I could picture my death, it would be me just walking out into the ocean, like a scene in a movie. Hard to picture your just, death when we're still picturing Dion's. That was my way to steer you back. Damn, I. Sorry. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I keep taking a turn. My brain is just not braining today. So Dion is sinking, and he is sinking fast. Nobody knows what happens to him. We think it was something called a deep water blackout, and we can only assume he is at the bottom of this massive-ass cave. Police were called to the scene and tried to rescue Dion using some kind of robotic system. Kind of unclear what it was, but it was unsuccessful. Dion was gone. And there was no body to be buried. No one even knew for sure where his body was. His parents commemorated their son with a plaque beside the entrance to Bushman's Hole. That's not the end of this story. How? I'm going to tell you. Oh, yeah. That picture that we're scrolling past right now. That it looks bigger than a puddle. <laughs> but that is the entrance to the well, cave. isn't it like a really deep puddle, but then you stop to squeeze into the cave? Yeah, you got to squeeze, so, squeeze into a little you hole, probably and then jump it's like there a huge notch thing of water. into the nine hundred twenty-seven feet. But then I would just feel spooky because, like, you know, it's under there. But my mind would be like, "What could swim through that little hole and eat me?" But it's a little hole, so it could be that scary. 
You know, when you're sleeping at night and you're like, oh, something can yank you out from under the blankets. Is something going to yank you into the hole from <sighs> under the water? Stop right now. You're not going there. And if you are, just think about that. Don't stop thinking about that. I think it's still that. open. I think this is one of those that they don't close it down. It's still, it's still kicking. Would I dive in it? Yes. Would I go 970 feet? No, I'm only certified to go 70. Farthest down I've been is 90. And that was in an airplane. And that was spooky because it's claustrophobic underwater. You know what I mean? Like, what if my, what if my oxygen, something gets stuck in this sunken airplane and then I'm just dead? That didn't happen. It was, it was very, it was very cool. It's very fun. Okay, so we're fast forwarding 10 years because our story didn't end with Dion. Now enters a man named David Shaw. David Shaw was a 50-year-old man and an amazing cave diver. He was experienced. He was diving in Bushman's Hole in the evening with the goal of reaching the bottom. Whenever he got past the 800 feet mark, he saw the cave start to come kind of like a slope towards the bottom. So David got out his flashlight and was swimming around, checking out the cave floor when he saw something out of the ordinary. What did David see, Gabby? Dion. David saw Dion, the body of Dion Dreyer. Dion was laying on his back with his arms stretched up as if he had been reaching out for the surface, which could be coincidence because he like blacked out, but also terrifying and sad if he was reaching out for the surface. I don't know. Just that little fact there made me very sad. David tried to lift the body to take Dion back with him to the surface, but unfortunately, Dion's oxygen tanks were stuck on something. And David knew if he remained down there any longer, he'd be risking his own life. So he attached something to Dion's body and then returned to the surface. Upon reaching the top, David immediately let Dion's parents know that he'd found the remains of their boy. He also promised Dion's parents that no matter what, he would return his remains to them. She's just so sad. Go, David. That's so sweet. Like, his parents know, like, that's the only hope that they're going to get their baby's body back. I don't know. That's very sad. So David, along with the dive team, started to make preparations for the dive, which would ultimately take 12 hours. So in January in 2005, the mission began. David filmed the entire trip on a camera attached to his helmet. After David has reached the bottom... The diver above David began looking for signs that David was done. Fifteen minutes passed. Nothing. No flashlight movement, no bubbles, no nothing. So the diver, thinking something had happened, went into rescue mode, and he started swimming down towards David and Dion. But after hearing a strange noise, he realized that his gauge had broken, which I'm going to pause right here for a second. These stories have something in common that if... Tiny little things would have been different. Like if that pulley wouldn't have broke right when they were making progress and got his body out. Or if this guy's gauge wouldn't have broke right when he was going down to rescue his friend. That's, it just takes one small one thing. One small thing and it affects the everything. History. History is affected by small things every day. Think about what you do before you do it. I I'm just never kidding. think before I do anything. I don't either. And that's why I am where I'm at. It's neither here nor there. But without this guy's gauge, he could die. He began swimming back up towards the surface. And when he reached the next decompression stop, like Gab's talked about in previous episodes, you have to have decompression stops. 
you're 900 and something feet down. So he reached the next guy and then he shared the news that Dave would not be coming back up. So I guess he already knew, like, David's a goner. There's no, he ain't going to have enough oxygen to reach the top, even if he is still alive. The message got passed along the chain um, of divers until it got to the surface. And whenever it got to the service or surface, they let Dion's parents know. Of course, everyone that was up at the top was devastated. Divers left their gear at the scene and went home. Which, that was a little weird to me. I mean, I get it. Everyone's devastated, but just leaving leaving all your shit there. Because what's about to happen next makes me like, maybe you should have did this before you left the scene. Anywho, they returned later to get their gear, and then they started pulling up the line that was in the water. The line moved up closer and closer, eventually reaching the surface to reveal that it was still attached to the bodies of David and Dion. So David freed Dion before he passed away. David was attached to the line. So the pulling of David allowed allowed Dion to float to the surface with him. So what happened to David to cause his passing? Well, we aren't sure, but if you remember, he did have a camera attached to his helmet. It appears that David developed nitrogen narcosis on the bottom of the cave, of course, causing him to become disoriented and confused and ultimately leading to his death. And while this story is extremely sad, David being as brave as he was, he fulfilled his promise to Dion's parents and he brought their baby home. And then I had a little picture of David attached because he's a real one and he looks just like a, he looks like such a sweet guy. And I bet you all are thinking, Bruno, what the fuck was that? How is that a lighter note? And you're right. I said we would end on a lighter note, but that wasn't the end, motherfuckers. This is, it's our final story for the night. Can I call them motherfuckers? (laughs) <laughs> They're listening to the podcast. I mean, they can stop now if they it's want our final to. It's story for the night. Bet you're asking, Brenna, what is it? Just tell us. India's rat hole miners saved the day. That's the name of the little article I read. Uh, this story was recommended to me by a coworker. Shout out to Sotman, who is currently my arch nemesis. You guys are frenemies. We are. We're frenemies. Which is so funny because you're like, I don't want to be his friend. I'm like, you're I don't. his friend. No, I'm you're not your friend. friend. You guys have like a weirdly complex relationship where, yes, you would punch each other in the face, but also you'd punch someone if they punched the other person in the face. Frenemies. I would, if he was stuck, if his car was broke down somewhere, I'd drive it. I'd help him out. If he was See? cold, I'd give him a sweatshirt. I would also smack him in the face. Sot man. That's a joke for legal purposes. Oh, and I, HR, write this down. It. I told him that we call him Sot Man too, because I was like, we don't want to use your real name, you know, in case you don't want to. And he cracked <laughs> up. He was like, You all talk about me? I've only listened to episode one. I was oh. like, what? So we should be rude. Yeah. Because he actually, won't hear man it. sucks. We just decided he won't even hear this. Sot man. He doesn't listen. You're not coming with us on our trip. No, you still can't. Steve. <laughs> Steve wants you to go. Bully him into going. Uh-huh. Steve needs another night. Honestly, I've been telling him to go. I think he said he said he was gonna um, fart in our tent, though. <laughs> so do with that, do with that what you will. And we need to finish this story because I'm drag assing along. It's so late. Steve's gonna murder me. So now um, we're in a tunnel in the Indian Himalayas. Sotman told me about this. This was super recent too. This was November 2023, like insanely recent. So you can't find much information on shit that's really recent, I figured out. The articles are harder. But uh, 41 men were trapped deep inside 
um, a Himalayan mountain. The tunnel had collapsed while they were doing construction work in northern... Fuck. Okay. Uh, Uttarakhand. Sotman told me how to say this properly. You got it. He said, I'm putting, I'm not putting enough emphasis on the tar. Uttarak, Uttarakhand? No. You something about you rolling gotta, an R? Yeah, you gotta make it have, make like a, kind of make like a circle almost. With your no, that's not right. Oh, just say man. it, just say it the way. Uh, my brain tells me so. Uttarakhand. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not right. Anytime I was trying to say it, he would just shake his head and be like, no. <laughs> and I'd be like, I feel like I sound the same way that you sound. He's like, no, you're not getting it right. He tried And then explaining. Megan was over there on the side and Megan was like getting it right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, like Megan. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Uttarakhand. He's like, fuck no, that's not right. He tried explaining my own aunt's name to me and I was like, listen. My guy. My own aunt says her name wrong. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I don't got it. Anyways, Northern Uttar... <laughs> He's going to be so mad because I, I forgot. Northern Uttarakhand State. The rescue became even more urgent whenever some of the workers started becoming ill. Four days had passed with these men trapped in this tunnel before the local authorities flew in a high-powered drill from the capital, New, New Delhi, to try to gain access to the trapped workers. Initially, they had tried to dig the debris out, but were unsuccessful as more debris kept falling into its place. The rock was super fragile, so the heavy machinery that was flown in broke down, which that confuses me because, like, the rock is fragile. It keeps falling in. How's the machinery going to break down? But before it broke down, it did make it through 47 of the 60 meters of debris needed to reach the workers. Authorities had exhausted all options other than one. Rat hole miners. Do you know what rat hole miners are? Like, no, like digging miners? I had no idea. Yeah, it's digging, but I was like, why are they called rat hole miners? So what is a rat hole miner? The name comes from the resemblance of their job to that of a rat burrowing in the ground. The tunnels they crawl through are just big enough to fit the bodies of workers, of the workers that are crawling in it, and they descend using ropes or ladders usually. The holes are often so small that the workers must crawl or crouch down without ventilation or safety measures in place to extract coal. For this story, there were half a dozen miners who were excellent at burrowing by hand into tight spaces. They're, like little, they're not like little rats, but that, you know, like little rats burrow. Ironically, this profession is banned in India. It was banned in 2014 by the National Green Tribunal due to environmental protection. It was said that the technique is dangerous and, quote, unscientific after a case was looked over involving the death of a number of rat hole miners, some of which were children. Also, it's said that between 10,000 to 15,000 people have died in mines due to rat hole mining in between 2007 and 2014. This technique of mining is still common in some small mines that use it to take advantage of a few loopholes regarding the transportation of coal. Um, anywho, back to our rat hole miners. They started working late on a Monday after two drilling machines had already broken down. So not one, but two. There were still 15 meters to go. There were two teams of workers, three in each team, except this doesn't have a bad ending. So like, yeah, they split up, but it, it worked out. They would crawl up a pipe and send um, a trolley that was full of debris back down it. Three went inside the tunnel. One did the drilling, one collected debris, and the other pushed the trolley out. These men took turns working over 24 hours. 
And after 17 days, 17 days, people were trapped inside of this tunnel. The 41 men were freed alive. After the rat hole miners broke through the last bit of rock, they hugged the trap workers like they were their family. And the trap workers were pulled out in a wheeled in wheeled stretchers through a wide pipe that had been pushed through the wide pipe pushed through broken up debris. And that's how they got food and shit in too. Dry foods. Like um some examples when we were talking about examples of dry foods, Megan was like, Yeah, like rice. And Sot Man was like, no, not like fucking rice. How are they going to cook it inside the cave? And he was like. Because like, then ramen, you know, oh like, you gosh. know how some people just eat. That is so weird. Have you ever done that? No, no, I have not. And people I never just, will. Like, they the sprinkle the seasoning in. on it and just take a bite out. I've never tried that it, will but never I'm be me. Nope. The crunch sounds terrifyingly terrible. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it anywhere in or around my mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So they're pushing food through the hole. And then they push the people out of the hole. All thanks to the rat hole miners. The six men saved the day. And I'm going to end with a quote from one of the men. Faraz Qureshi. Quote, it was a difficult task. But for us, nothing is difficult. I love their bravery and confidence. See, I told you guys I would end on a lighter note, and this is my lighter note. Thank you all for listening. Don't let your meatloaf. I'll attach a bunch of pictures. Am I allowed to say don't let your meatloaf? Is that a bad word? No, it's just a saying, like, don't let your meatloaf. Also, for dopamine earlier, I meant you can you can hug people. <laughs> That's what dopamine. we were talking about. I, was, I thought you were talking about flicking the... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. I'm just kidding. I guess that works, too. Yeah, I'm going to attach so many pictures because there's so many pictures in my little, I don't even know what you'd call it. I am script. dead right now. Script. script. She keeps working till like 10 p.m. and then going to work at like 9 a.m. and then working until like 10 p.m. Now, I was up until 2 a.m. working on this and then I went to work and I was like, I'm going to get out so early. I did not because I'm a people pleaser and I can't say no. And when I start a task, I want to finish it, even if that task isn't doable in a set amount of hours that I'm supposed to be given. But that's neither here nor there. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm not crying. You are. Just going to listen to this episode. I just realized and we were shit talking him. Um, We were shit talking him. And you just said his name. (laughs) Shoot. James, cut that out. But um, yeah. That'll because because you talked about the the thing he said to talk about. I did. See? So he'll listen. Oh, yeah. Disregard everything. He, I still don't think he'll listen. Good. He's only listened to episode Also, James one. cut his name out. My bad. Just, oh, you should put a beep over it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, subscribe to our Instagram. Send us the email. A lot of people, nobody sends us emails. But if you want to, it's at mysteryofeverythingpod at gmail.com. A lot of people send us Instagram DMs, which I enjoy. It's given me so many ideas. I'm super pumped. So I don't sound pumped right now. I realize that because I'm tired. But I'm so fucking excited. We have all our episodes mapped out in a little joined notes thing. And they're going to be so cool. They're going to be so much fun. Subscribe to our Instagram. Did I say that already? Three times. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon. We're going to make it. Yeah, we. I actually will make it. We will tonight, not tonight. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow it's gonna. I'm gonna write it on my calendar, and then I have to do it. 
you write it down, you got to do it. That's the only reason my legs are shaped. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Don't let your meat low.